Welcome to the second of four special editions of the Monitor podcast featuring interviews with Monitor's 2022 Industry Icon Award winners. In today's podcast, we will talk with this year's Disruptor Icon Award winner about point of sale financing, why happy work is important, what traditional equipment finance companies need to do to avoid disruption, and more. But before we begin, I want to tell you about my team's latest project, which I'm really excited about, Monitor Suite. Monitor Suite is Monitor's new subscription platform for exclusive premium equipment finance industry content and much more. It features high quality streaming series like our mini documentary video series Reels and Three Minutes, which features three minute videos with industry leaders. Monitor Suite members also have 24-7 access to our entire library of in-depth data reports dating back to 1992, members-only live stream events, exclusive articles, and much more. For more information, visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite is actually a project that I've been working on during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program, which just happens to be today's podcast sponsor as well. Stripes is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10-month program launches with a three-day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry leaders and leadership experts, working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes has been a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. Hi everyone, I'm Rita Garwood, Editor-in-Chief of Monitor, and joining me today is Robert Preble. Robert is founder and CEO of Approve, um, and he's this year's Disruptor Icon. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. We are, I am honored, uh, to say the least. It's really exciting. Um, so you are a serial entrepreneur, and in addition to Approve, you're also the co-owner of the Greater Wilmington Business Journal. I never knew that until I was, was digging into your background a little bit more for this. Um, and your undergrad, undergrad is in mechanical engineering. So I'd love to hear more about your, your path in life that took you to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it, it's been an interesting path. Um, so, uh, like you said, I, I have an engineering degree, I think, having gone to four years of engineering school, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I, I decided uh, not long after I got out of school that I, I did not actually want to practice engineering um, and uh, wound up getting into sales, technical sales. Um, and uh, but, but I, I very much enjoyed the industrial space. Uh, my, my first job was selling uh, engineering software. If you've ever seen the, the TV show, How It's Made, that, that was my job for several years. I would go to all these manufacturing facilities. They would, they would show me how they made their, their products. And then I would try to sell them the software to, to, to help them. So it was, it was a pretty cool experience and eye-opening. And, and um, it was a great, great sort of first, first uh, jump into a career path. Uh, but, uh, not long after that, I got involved in a startup in Atlanta. Uh, we built an online marketplace for manufacturing services. And, and I think, um, the, the sort of disparate background that you just described, there is some commonality there in that, uh, most of my career has been being some sort of intermediary or connector, connecting buyers and sellers. And that's 
you know what we do in publishing as well we, we you know, aggregate re readers and and sell advertising against those readers right um but uh the marketplace was was a lot of fun and it was also novel you know that was late 90s early 2000 marketplaces were were uh sort of the rage back then uh we learned a lot of what to do uh what not to do um wound up selling half that business to jeff bezos via his private equity firm uh at that point i exited and started a company called global test supply uh not not quite as sexy of a business model but um nonetheless rapidly growing company uh we actually grew it to rank i think 800 on the inc 5000 at one point uh wound up selling that to a uh to a, a, another industry participant and at global test supply we we got involved in renting equipment and that opened my eyes to this this world of niche equipment rentals and the the thesis behind quipped was that there's a lot of global test supplies out there renting equipment and uh um it was quite fragmented you know there's they had very disparate process and they were difficult and hard to find um oftentimes they were buried inside of larger organizations so so uh, we started a marketplace um we borrowed concepts from what we did in manufacturing we applied it to the equipment rental space uh and unbeknownst to me at the time uh the equipment rental uh space very much overlaps with where we're at today and that is equipment finance and leasing so um fast forward to today we we have um we have spun out the technology that we built for our, ourselves into a fintech product that we call Approve, um, whereby we let um, manufacturers and distributors embed equipment finance or virtual equipment finance programs into their own points of sale and points of influence and, and leverage um, um, the technology and, and benefits that we initially had developed for our internal use. And uh, it's been very much an evolution. It sounds like it. So you kind of already talked about what sparked um, the launch of of Quipped, but can you tell tell me a little bit more about how you went from just the equipment rentals until you know your process now with Approve? Yeah, so you know it was interesting when we started Quipped. We we built uh, this is an oversimplified analogy, but Airbnb for equipment rentals. You know, we brought process, um, we brought technology we, um, to 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 a to a otherwise. Um, um, chaotic space and customers i think you know when they wanted to rent they what they often thought or meant was they wanted to lease uh based upon the definition you know industry definition when they wanted to lease sometimes they wanted to rent so what we realized was that if customers wanted to use the equipment and, and return it in some period of time you know we would define that as a rental and it's a two-party transaction um transaction between the supplier who owns the equipment and the customer that wants to rent it but if they if they wanted to rent it as a path to ownership and they were using leasing as a, as a financing vehicle then, then it really was a very different transaction and it required the third party that being the equipment you know the lender um and and what we did was we we built a third leg onto that marketplace to 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 facilitate those equipment lease transactions um and we did it in such a way that it, you know i think you know we not having come from this industry by background we, we did it through the purview of of the customer or really of the vendor right and we said you know how does this make sense for the vendor 
having leased equipment myself as a vendor prior, one challenge that we we that I faced was that um, you know I was I was I was cautious as to who I sent to my leasing company, knowing that it, it could potentially create friction in my sales process. And, and, and if I didn't think my customer was qualified, or if I thought the process was going to take too long, um, or if, if I thought the financing was going to be too expensive, I, I would I would not send it that way, right? Um, we set out to sort of solve some of those issues, and, and the way we the way we solved it was we realized that uh, there was a number of lending um, uh, people, you know, lending businesses, and they all service very different. Um, you know, they, they all have strengths and weaknesses. And we said, well, what if we just bring all these people together in one platform, you know, a marketplace, if you will, so that, you know, we can match the customer up with the ideal lender and we can do that as quickly as possible. We can maximize the approval rates and we can minimize the cost of financing. That, that would really incentivize the vendors to embrace equipment financing in a way that maybe they had not embraced it before. Um, and, and we did that in our marketplace and it worked very well to the extent that our marketplace supplier said, you know, we, we really like the way this works on Quipped. Can we use it with our own customers that are not on Quipped? And that was a bit of a light bulb moment for us. And we said, man, I think there's, you know, there, there's gotta be a, a massive opportunity here. And we spun out that platform in such a way that they could, they could, you know, a SaaS style software, um, you know, uh, approach in such a way that they can use it for themselves. And, and that is where we're at today. It's that, that is called approve. And uh, we, we have actually changed the name of our business from quip to approve, because that is where we, we, we see the, the, the massive growth opportunity. That's great. So I noticed that approves tagline is equipment financing turned upside down. Can you tell me more about that and, and how you accomplish it? Yeah. So, you know, through a combination of of technology and and uh, re-engineered process, I suppose the idea um, is that we we eliminate uh, many of the objections and pain points that have historically existed within vendor channels. You know, the tagline I think is quite appropriate because we really we want to get the you know we don't want vendors to think of us as another another lending company or or more you know sort of lending partner that is approaching things in a traditional way. We want to kind of get their attention um, to so that we can have this conversation. Say, well, look, we know why you guys maybe have not embraced equipment financing uh, you know as aggressively as you've could in the past. We've set out to overcome those issues. We have overcome those issues, um, and now equipment finance can really disrupt your business. You know, it, it certainly it has a direct impact on your ability to grow sales, um, differentiate yourself from market competition. Uh, you know, establish a long, a, a deeper, more integrated relationship with your customer. There's so many ways that equipment finance can benefit the business that if we can overcome these these sort of initial objections. Um, through through the deployment of tech and and sort of revised process, um, we 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 think we are turning the equipment finance upside down. That's great. So, approve is all about you know point of sale financing, and that's not something that you tr usually hear a lot about in equipment finance. Why do you think that's so important? You kind of outlined it a little bit more, but I wanted to just kind of dig into that a little bit more. 
Yeah, and 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 I'll, I'll actually say we we we're using a, a slightly modified term there. We 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 think it's more. Uh, it's certainly about point of sale, but we actually think it's about point of influence. Hmm. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's a buzzword going around embedded finance. What 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 does that mean? What are you embedding finance in? And I think oftentimes, you know, most people will think, well, you're betting it into uh, e-commerce shopping cart. It's a software sort of function, right? We, we think what you're embedding finance in is the buyer journey, you know, the, and the buyer journey in, 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 in a B2B sense, um, it starts very early on with sort of this recognition that there's a problem that needs to be solved. And we go through this, this sort of process to understand that problem, define it, um, think about plausible solutions. And then when we narrow that down, we get into sort of vendor identification and vetting out, who, you know, who, who could, who could help, you know, deliver that solution. And, and then at the very end of that, you get into the transaction. And I think historically equipment finance has, has tried to, um, you know, find a home at the end of that process. But if, if affordability becomes part of the, the design envelope up front, it has a direct impact on the solution outcome. Uh, certainly has an impact on the vendor, but but it very much can can impact the solution and get people thinking about solutions in a way that maybe they hadn't thought about to begin with. So, um, you know, we, 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 we have thought about in a functional way, how do we get as early up into that buyer journey as we possibly can, uh, because affordability needs to be a functional requirement in the design envelope in a way that maybe it hasn't in the past. Makes a lot of sense. So as I said before, currently a lot of people in the industry take the position that, you know, having that point of sale financing or earlier in the game financing is more for small ticket equipment. Um, do you believe that's correct? Or do you think over time, this is going to bleed into larger ticket transactions as well? Well, I, I think that yes, it is for small ticket opportunity. And, and and one thing I will say is I think that there's a massive opportunity for the industry as a whole to embrace small tickets. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of small ticket opportunity flowing through the balance sheets of merchant service and credit card companies that should be flowing through the balance sheets of equipment finance companies. Um, I think there's a lot of cash transactions that are going um, that are that are that are either it's either cash or trade credit. That really should be flowing through equipment finance. It, it, you know, the industry I think has has built itself in such a way that it's not very efficient uh, to to take advantage of that of that opportunity. But but with technology um, uh, and innovation, the efficiencies can be achieved, and and those transactions can start flowing. Right. Um, you know, I think big ticket too. You know, but big big. Big ticket tends to be one, um, it's, it's a more complicated process. And, and, and usually it's complicated by the fact that there's more stakeholders involved in the process. You know, if you think about small ticket, low levels of, a, of an organization or enterprise tend to be empowered to, to make low, you know, small ticket purchases, you know, $100,000 or less. When you get over a certain threshold, it, it, the, the bureaucracy starts creeping in on those decisions and, um, you know, the stakeholders create complexity to that transaction, whereby speed and efficiency is probably not as important at that point. What's important at that point are, are you know, um, 
more more sort of fundamental constructs of the deal. Um, speed and efficiency is much more important when you're dealing in high volume within within lower levels of a buying organization, so that people can get their jobs done and get a, get them done quickly. It makes a lot of sense. So I was reading an interview that you did with um, a website called Valiant CEO. And in that, you mentioned that your company really stands out because of the way that you use data. Um, we, we're hearing a lot more about data and, and using everybody has so much of it. Can you talk about how you use data and, and what how that sets you apart? Yeah, so um, one, we collect a tremendous amount of data. Um, and, and we do that in a lot of different ways. So, so we have a lot of data. We, you know, we know who our customers are. We know who our vendors are. Uh, we know the timing of in-market demand. We know the timing of in-market demand for specific makes and models of equipment. With our quick marketplace, we know we have real-time pricing. We have real-time availability. Uh, on the finance side, we inject, we inject credit into that equipment, you know, into that data set. Um, there's so much data out there. So, you know, what do we use it for? Well, we, we, we use it to make informed decisions to the best of our ability. Uh, and, we, you know, an example would be the following. When the way our lender marketplace works, you know, we're not trying to put lenders into a sort of competitive environment where the only thing that matters is price. What we're really trying to do is, is one lender is going to get this deal. Can our data predict who it's going to be so that, you know, nine times out of 10, we send it to that lender, right? Um, lenders tell us what they're good at. Oftentimes the data may suggest something slightly different. So some combination of what people think they're good at or what they're trying to be good at combined with in the present, what they're currently good at the data can sort of drive intelligent decisions, right? Um, so, you know, and also data can be used, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a sharing capacity to help people improve uh, or adapt, right? So sharing the data that we collect with, you know, in aggregate, uh, of course, but um, sharing the data that we collect um, um, with lending partners, with vendor partners, with customers, you know, gives them insight into things that maybe they had not seen in such a way that they may be able to adapt or improve their own business process, right? Um, so it, it, it's a very powerful concept, and we use it in a lot of different ways. Uh, and and you know, when we sit down to to attack a problem or solve a problem, the very first thing we ask ourselves is, what data do we have, and how can we use it to to help drive a decision here? That's great. So as I mentioned earlier, the reason we're having this interview today is because you are this year's um, disruptor icon. Um, in your opinion, what is the number one reason why equipment finance stands to be disrupted in the future? Uh, I, I, think, I think the number one reason is that there is, there is so much opportunity that can be driven to this industry that's not being driven to this industry. I, I, you know, I, I, I honestly believe that the number one competitor to equipment finance are merchant service companies, credit card companies. So many transactions in this small to micro ticket range are getting put on credit cards when that is not preferred by the customer. 
it's not necessarily desired by the vendor due to the merchant service fees. Um, and, and the reason it's being done is because merchant service, uh, uh, the merchant service industry has a, done a much better job of embedding themselves into the buyer journey than the equipment finance industry has. But I think the equipment finance industry can do a better job uh, and, 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 you know, achieve a similar result. So I just, I think we can get a lot more into a lot more business flow into this industry than, than ever has before with, with, with technology, innovation, integration, and maybe a slightly different thought process on approach. Yeah. So it sounds like with emergent services, they're kind of further along that consumerization um, trend of having all of that, you know, at your fingertips technology. So you're saying if equipment finance stepped up their game there, um, we might be able to to level the playing field a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. So beyond that, what else can you know leaders of traditional equipment finance companies do to you know avoid disruption in the future? In your opinion? Well, um, I think I think one uh, e equipment. For, for for some industries, uh, for a lot of industries, equipment, um, it's a big part of the business, but it may not be the majority part of a business. So you think about a distributor who sells equipment and then also the supplies and consumables that go into that equipment application. Uh, their business may look something like 20% equipment sales, 80% supplies and consumables. If you're the CEO of that distributor, you're thinking you're thinking to yourself, okay, what, what's what's how, how do I want to approach this? Right, equipment tends to be a customer acquisition tool because equipment is it's an infrequent purchase. You know, you don't have customers buying this you know equipment every every week or every month. Um, it, it offers an opportunity for you to expand your customer base when people come in market uh, for for that type of equipment. And then what you do is you think about, okay, once they buy the equipment, can I get a recurring customer relationship with the supplies and consumables business? And oh, by the way, that's very attractive to me because I'm making a lot more margin on supplies and consumables than I am on, than I am on equipment, right? I think equipment finance needs to understand that one, for a lot of industries, um, they are taking uh, a backseat to the minority part of, of, of an organization's business but they're very much in a position to start thinking about how to help with the entire business, not just this, this, this one segment. Right. And, and, you know, that may, um, that may involve thinking about how can we find synergies between not just the equipment uh, synergies between equipment finance uh, and working capital or asset-based lending or trade credit solutions or merchant solutions. Right. I, I think, I think, you know, you have to be a partner to the vendor um, in, 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 the, in the in the vendor's entirety, not not necessarily just a sort of one segment of their business. And a lot of equipment finance companies are thinking this way, um, but but I think also think that there's a there's a pretty big opportunity uh, and and market acquisition opportunity because um, you know for those businesses that equipment is only a small fraction of their total business, that's where they're primarily uh, taking credit cards for, for those equipment purchases, right? Um, so I think, I think it's, it's interesting. And, and um, 
and with a lot of the B2B payment solution providers coming to market now, um, they're thinking B2B payment solutions in, in, in a holistic view, not in um, a fragmented financial services view, right? Financial services to sort of fragment themselves. Oh, we're a we're an asset-based lender. We're a working capital lender. We're a equipment finance lender. You know, the vendor doesn't care. The vendor wants one solution, one partner that works for the entire business. Yeah, that's. I see more companies doing that these days. We cover, um, in addition to the monitor, we have uh, ABF Journal publication, and and it kind of encompasses all of that. But you're seeing we're seeing more crossover between the two a lot. Yeah. So. We've been talking a lot about business, but I wanted to get back to you. You know, you, you're the leader of this company. You're an entrepreneur. Can you talk about um, just the kind of leader that you are um, in general? What's your approach to leadership? Yeah. So uh, if you if you go to our website, you'll see a lot of um, a lot of discussion around this concept of happy work. We, 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 have, we have this hashtag happy work. Uh, go online, you'll you'll see everything uh, that we preach about that. Uh, I think the website says something like, you will spend 90,000 hours of your life working. We think they should be happy hours. It's, it's, it's you know, we are defined by what we do, even though we that's probably not the best approach to living one's life, I would argue. But, but that is the reality. Most people are defined by what they do. And, and if what they do is not making them feel good, that, that's, a, that's a pretty disheartening definition to be associated with, right? So, um, you know, the work environment that we have created that, that we firmly stand behind is, is one in which, um, you know, you, you first and foremost uh, um, feel good yourself about what you're doing you feel good about who you're doing it with and you feel good about how it's impacting others right so it's how it's impacting me how you know who, who i'm doing this with and how it's impacting others and and if we don't hit those three check marks for people um you know either it's not a right fit for them or they're not a right fit for us but uh you, you know um it's a work hard play hard culture and what, what that has done is it's really attracted the right type of people to innovate, to disrupt, to, to, um, to be, you know, um, positive in perpetuity, right? You know, we don't, there's no problems here. There's, there's challenges, right? Um, so we spent a lot of time on culture. We spent a lot of time on let's, let's be happy doing what we're doing, you know? And if we're not happy, then why are we doing it, <laughs> right? Uh, and that all stems from something I learned very early in my career, having worked for a, a toxic work culture. It's just, it's just not worth it. And there's really no amount of money for, for me personally that's worth going to work every day and not being satisfied with what you're doing. So true. So last question I had for you. Any, are, are there any people in your life over the course of your career who really stood out as like mentors or parents or um, anybody who kind of influenced who you are as a leader today? You know, I, I think the influence comes from everybody. You know, it's it's how I was raised by my parents. It was it was my friends. It was my you know people that I worked for, teachers, you know, customers, partners. Um, you as I think the older you get, uh, the more of a sort of 
a melting pot of influence that has been projected upon you, right? Um, I, I've um, probably been most shaped and influenced by not so much mentors, but by individuals that taught me what not to do. <laughs> um, that, that has had the most emotional impact on me. Um, because those are typically painful experiences and ones that you emotionally wrestle with uh, how best to address and handle. Um, you know, it's that that teacher that gives you the F or that boss that, you know, um, doesn't 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 create a happy work environment, you know, um, or that friend that betrays you. Those are the most valuable learning lessons. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then I still very much I'm, I'm, I'm very much influenced today by uh people always surprise me i mean as an engineer you know we're trained to um to to understand how the world works around us and be able to predict outcomes you can't do that with people <laughs> i've not been able to figure that out right <laughs> so so it's the most intriguing mechanism the most the most intriguing uh uh mechanism is the human being in my mind <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I also love how you've you know created the happy work environment and taken the positive spin on all of those those negative uh people and situations it's 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 a great and I guess the more I was thinking about it that that makes a lot of sense too because you're like I never want to be like that don't want to create that for anybody else right yeah, that's right that's so right. We're we're at the end of our time here, but do you have any final thoughts? Uh, we, look, we are um, uh, we are we are honored to be recognized by the industry. I, th I think there's no higher recognition than one one uh, in which you're recognized by your peers. Uh, um, it's a very humbling experience. Um, you know, we are um, we're we are excited to share you know, a lot of what we're doing and, and what we've learned along the way with, with, with people within the industry. And, and there's an open invitation to anybody listening that, that you know, may want to dive in and learn more. We're, we're a fairly transparent organization, you know, uh, um, you know, we, we welcome competition even because I think competition validates uh, a lot of what, what we're doing. And without, you know, if you're, if you're operating without competition, you sort of have to question whether or not you're, you're, operating within a, a, a sizable opportunity or not but um it's 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 an honor and and we're thankful and and uh you know we, we look forward to uh contributing to to the industry in any way that we can that's great thanks so much for talking with me today robert thank you rita i appreciate it